Lord, we don't take um, your word for granted and our need for for you to teach us through it. And we don't take the dimness of our mind and intellect to your ways for granted either. We need the illumination of your Holy Spirit. We need your work among and through us and in um, the, sh- the sharing of your truth. Uh, Lord, we uh, we ask that you would open our hearts up this morning to what you have to say to us as a congregation. Father, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sit under it. Um, Lord, we thank you that, that you are the God of this word, as well as it is your word. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, came back last week and um, opened up the and read that uh, we should uh, congratulate uh, John Froge on winning the uh, eighth straight sectional championship. I read that in uh, Wednesday's edition of the Journal Review, an article that was in there. And Oh yeah, good job. Now I I understand that for some of you that came at the um, demise of North Putnam in that sexual championship game, and for some of you might be a little sore. I'm not sure how many North Putnam representatives we have, and um, but I read in that article that Crawfordsville's baseball at one point. I don't want to do that. Is this not working? Let me fight. Let me try on the side there. Is that working better? Okay, good. So um, Crawfordsville's baseball team was down after North Putnam's first at bat when they scored one run. After that, at the uh, the bottom of the first, when Crawfordsville had their first up at bat. One hit brought in three runs, and from that point forward, forward Crawfordsville, Crawfordsville sorry, didn't give up the lead and went on to win the game. So in Wednesday's edition of the Journal Review, Coach Froge is quoted as having said, it really put us in position to win early. That's Crawfordsville baseball. Anybody that's watched us knows how we're going to play. And so for Crawfordsville baseball, what John was saying was to get in a position early to win. But I was taken by that statement, anybody that's watched us play knows how we're going to play. A person that regularly watches a team's play is going to know how that team is going to respond to the game. Our values make up how we choose to do ministry as a fellowship of believers. It should be that anyone who watches the people of Harvest know how they're going to function as a body. And I'm sorry, Jay, but I missed my clicker up here. Distracted by the great fellowship during the break. I'm really uh, taxing Jay this morning. Our values at Harvest 
are what we call the harvest way, the harvest way of doing things. Thank you very much. And we've discussed um, over these weeks what these values are, what are important to us as a body. And we, we see, have seen here, and we're continuing in this, that we as a body seek to follow Christ under the authority of the Scriptures and applying the truth to daily life and in prayerful dependence on God and with ministry done by the body. And this being in the context of personal relationship. Now, I think I don't have control yet. Sorry, getting, getting the, the problems out of the system. Good, thanks. The fourth of these values of our ministry as a body is that the ministry would be done by the body of harvest. And uh, we looked at this as we were walking through the purpose statement of harvest, um, that, that we as a body, as a church, we exist to equip the believers, equip believers for effective ministry. So we, we kind of looked at this aspect a little bit, but we're visiting this as a value of harvest. And again, our values are the way we want to do everything. How? we go about doing what we do. We talk about them as being ingredients in everything that we produce um, in terms of ministry of the body, in terms of ministry to each other. So the main idea this morning as we look at Romans 12 together, the main idea... Sorry, I still don't have control up here. I think you're right. I get in there. Not look behind the green curtain. Now we got it. I think I'm. I think I'm in control now. Okay, I'm good. As long as I'm in control. No. The main idea that we that we learn from Romans three. I'm sorry, Romans twelve three through eight this morning is that as worship of God and in response to His mercy. Harvesters should be doing ministry. Now, what we learned from two weeks ago from Romans 12, 1 through 2, is kind of those two prefix statements to this, to this um, main idea here, is that harvesters should be doing ministry as worship of God and in response to his mercies. And we talked about how verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 really are the foundation of what we'd be getting to in these coming weeks. So looking at those verses again this morning, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, Paul writes, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as I said, we, we talked two weeks ago about how do, these two verses are foundational for the verses that would come. And the next 19 verses that we're looking at over these two weeks are, are addressing the fourth and fifth value that we hold as a church. So let's, let's review a little of what is foundational about these verses. We're told 
we're urged, therefore, by the mercies of God to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Imagine yourself here standing before a righteous judge for something like um, the crime of drunk driving. Okay, And imagine here that, that your sinful behavior with this, your decision to do this, has led to the death of a mother and her children by an accident caused by you. Now, if you look into the judge's eyes, you realize that he is the husband and father of the family that you harmed. And he asks you, how do you plead in response? And your only response can be, I throw myself at your mercy. And to your amazement, he grants you pardon and he tells you that the payment that justice requires will be taken by his only remaining son. And this son willingly takes on your guilt and your shame out of love for his father and in order that you might be redeemed. And not only this, but the judge invites you to be a part of his family and to receive all of the benefits of being his heir. Moved by his grace, you offer yourself to him to absorb his purpose for your life, bringing glory to him. Now, I've described to you the gospel relationship that we walk in with God as our Father. And this is available to all those who claim the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for themselves and trust in him for their salvation and for the payment of their sins. And our response then of gratitude is what we're urged to live out of in Romans 12.1. And it's the great unfathomable mercies of God that should drive us to worship him with our lives. One aspect that's going to affect the following verses is that our lives are to be living sacrifices. Living our lives and doing ministry in the body should be offered to God as a sacrifice of worship. It shouldn't be to make others happy with us or to impress others around us. It should be in the knowledge that God has fully accepted us as his children if we have received Christ as our Savior. And we're told here that, that the next two verses, or verse two here, better explains, if you recall, what it looks like to live as a grateful sacrifice we discussed um, how to be conform, how being conformed to the this fallen world is the opposite of being transformed by the renewal of our minds. In reverse, if we're if we're not allowing our minds to be renewed by God, we're not being transformed, and thus we're just being conformed to this world around us. I am. Um, on one of our visits to Wisconsin Rapids a few years ago, uh, it was during a time where one of the major thoroughfares through the town was being rebuilt. And that meant, rather than just being like patched over, they were, they were digging up this street, which, which was like four lanes wide, and the street was made of concrete rather than asphalt. So they were digging up this street, and progressively through the summer, they were rebuilding it pouring new sections of concrete 
through the town. And so as this would go on during the summer, they would open up new sections of it and create different side streets would become new detours and things. So the residents of Wisconsin Rapids kind of had to keep aware of, you know, where, how far this, this, uh, the drivable section went. And um, there was this one woman that unfortunately uh, her lack of attention um, uh, caused great expense to the town and embarrassment for herself because what happened was she was following a truck along this West Grand Street in Wisconsin Rapids and um, she didn't notice that the cars around her had detoured off and she didn't realize that the truck that she was following was a construction truck belonging to the company that was rebuilding the road. What she also didn't notice is that the barriers had been opened for the construction truck because it had a job to do. But she just kind of continued following this truck right into the work zone. Well, the truck, knowing that the, the, the cement ahead of it was new and had been, been curing for, you know, at, there, I guess there was one section that had been poured the day, you know, a couple days before, another section that had been poured like maybe a day earlier, and then there was a completely new section. And this truck, knowing this, had veered off into the safe area. The car following the truck, not realizing this, was then uh, just driving straight ahead and found itself wheel deep in fresh cement after having driven uh, just a couple inches deep progressively through cement pads that had been laid days earlier. So my point in this and sharing, following after someone may not take you where you should go or where you want to go. Following after the pattern of this world causes us to lose the opportunity for transformation is what we learned about from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And one of those areas in which we can be conformed to this world is in the very way that we do ministry as a body. And that's what Paul, that's what Romans 12 is teaching us here. So as worship of God, and in response to his mercy, that's how harvesters should be doing ministry. As worship of God and in response to his ministry, to his mercy. Recall that our conformity to the world is stopped by being, our being transformed by the renewal of our mind. So what the following verses offers us is mind renewal when it comes to ministry. These verses are a contrast to the way that the world approaches opportunities for self-exaltation. Instead, what we see here is how to approach ministry in humility. So looking at verses 3 through 8 together this morning of Romans 12, we read, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if mercy, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, 
the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the first point here that we want to look at is that harvesters should be doing ministry in the humility of God-given faith. In the humility of God-given faith. We're told here, for by the grace given to me, Paul writes, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. The most important statement here is a play on words. Okay, It could be restated as, we are to not be high-minded above that which we ought to be minded, so as to be so minded as to be sober-minded. That's kind of how the play on words works in the original language. In other words, followers of Christ are to practice humility when it comes to our giftedness for ministry. Paul models his own humility here for us with his opening statement, where he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Here we read from an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of only twelve who were given the gospel to spread to the world. And he refers to his special calling as the grace given to him. And he's modeling this humility for us. So why should we think with sober judgment or in humility? We're told to think with sober judgment in according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Why should we think with sober judgment? It's because that our measure of faith that we have has been assigned to us by God himself. In other words, God has sovereignly assigned to each believer the faith that they have to do ministry with. In the same way that Paul's apostleship is a grace that was given to him. 1 Corinthians has this to say about God's sovereign rule over us. In 1 Corinthians 7.17 it says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. In other words, the very life that we have been given to live has been sovereignly assigned. We should not think of ourselves as having been granted some giftedness by God due to our deserving. We should not be thinking of ourselves as having earned any position within the body of Christ. We know that from Ephesians 2.8, that even our faith to believe in Christ is a gift from God. And what should that faith be but a focus of our attention on Christ, the very object of our saving faith? Of course, he's the greatest illustration of humility. We read in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The fact is that Christ holds the position of being very God, and yet lowered himself to being, cre to being killed by his creation. 
This is something that the, the teenagers that come out to the Curran's house to watch the Passion tonight, this will be a reminder of us. That this isn't just the, the death of a man that, that history pivots on. It's the death of God himself willingly offering himself as a sacrifice for us. And this is the attitude that we're called to have in ourselves. It's an attitude of humility, no matter what we are entrusted with by the Lord for furthering his kingdom. We are not self-existent as Christ is. We are created beings who should feel a compulsion to live for our Creator. And then we find out, as we live for our Creator, we get to live with our Creator in a daily walk with Him. And then we find out, as He asks us to do what we don't have the power in ourselves, we find out that we get to live through our Creator. That it's actually Him doing the work. That it's Him doing the ministry. That it's Him empowering us to live through Christ. Jesus taught His disciples how they were not to be conformed to the world's way of doing things. They were to follow His example. In Matthew 20, he spoke to them about how they should be different from earthly leaders. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, we see that Jesus is our example of humility, no matter what our position. In fact, the higher the position, by the world's standards, the more prepared we should be to serve others. Probably the best example that Jesus gave us and his followers was as he served his disciples. Jesus took the lowest position in the room when he chose to wash the dirt and manure from their feet. And he told them, and he told us, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus reminds us that being a Christian is about following him. We are not greater than our master. And we should be willing to serve each other in whatever form he directs us in. That's what we're being told here to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Again, the fact that we are followers of Christ is due to the faith that God has provided to us. Whatever we do for, with, or through Christ should, be, should all be an act of gratitude for His giving us all that we have in Christ. This truth should be renewing for our minds. It should be transforming for our lives. And, our, and transforming of our ministry to others as well. This certainly is not the way that the world looks at itself. We so often hear from sports icons 
or powerful politicians who are caught in misdeeds and exposed, what do we so often hear from them? We hear them say, I thought the rules didn't apply to me. Do you hear the deception that comes over someone when they take power and they take it by the world's way? They become deceived themselves. I thought the rule didn't apply to me. How many times do we hear that? It's like, do you not hear that everybody else has experienced this? Our calling to humility is out of recognition that all that we have has come from God as a gift to us. It's not just a different way than the world around us lives. It's how we keep from being self-deceived by pride and arrogance. If you're like me, you're amazed at how small an achievement I need to hang pride in my heart. It's amazing. You might say, well, I know how to keep from being prideful in ministry. I just won't do anything. Well, our next verses have something to say to that. That's that we need each other's ministry. Harvesters should be doing ministry in the humility of interdependence. That's what we're told here where it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So whereas we've learned that God has provided us each with the appropriate faith that is needed to function, here we learn that God has grouped us together as a body with the right balance of people. And each person is important to the whole. You know, Greek philosophers, prior to Paul's writing this and while Paul was writing this, Greek philosophers had argued that society did function like a body but their reasoning was to argue that some people were more important than others. As certain parts of the body were more important than others. And it was to justify an unchanging class system. We're taught from these verses that we are dependent on each other just as much as the body needs all of its parts to function. In other words, the person who cleans during the week it's glorifying God in the same way as a person who's manning the sound. A person who makes coffee is just as important a part of the body as a person teaching a class. The person watching children in the nursery is to be ministering as a part of their relationship with God just as much as the praise team did this morning. You may have a greater impact on someone this morning with the encouragement that you gave during the break to them than I have with the words that I preach. I think that the best explanation for this metaphor of the church body comes from 1 Corinthians 12. Um, first looking at verses 14 through 18 where it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? 
where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So your work cleaning the church is just as necessary as those who are teaching. If you're attending a small group, you are no less vital to the well-functioning of that group than the facilitator. The encouragement or insight or help or prayer that you bring to the table is a significant contribution. Don't let the enemy justify spotty attendance or half-hearted ministry because you think you're unimportant. So one of the values that we're, you know, the values that we're talking about this morning is that as a fellowship of believers, we value having the ministry done by the body of Harvard. A tool that we're using right now in order to help us to do ministry according to this value is team ministry. We've established teams to deal with the worship service, with, to deal with children's church, to deal with student ministry. We're developing a team of people to deal with the church facility. But an important aspect of approaching these ministries as a team is to spread the ministry across different people. Also, the teams are to get others involved in the ministry and to help it to be healthy ministry. We do this in faith, knowing that each person has been brought here by God as a necessary part of this body. And we want to create opportunities for ministry. We want to share the ministry in order to allow the whole body to be functioning as it should. We also have a group of men, as I've mentioned, that are working through and praying through discipleship at Harvard. What should it look like? And one aspect of discipleship that is important is discovering our spiritual gifts. And discovering our spiritual gifts is especially as important as it relates to the body functioning as it should. And that's where our passage goes. And this brings us to the idea that harvesters should be doing ministry in the humility of grace-given gifts. It's where we read in verses 6 through 8, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, um, the, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who con contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, we're not going to be discussing uh, spiritual gifts at length this morning. I do think that this needs to be something that we cover in detail as a body together at some point. But it will be especially important for us to discuss spiritual gifts as, as we move ahead in our vision as a church. Our vision is that of the future. The, our vision of the future is one of harvesters being on gospel mission in their daily lives. And you'll be well served in that, in knowing how to learn about your spiritual gift, how to, how to develop that. But, but in our passage here this morning, 
we see, as it states, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. What we want to get across this morning is that each follower of Christ has been given spiritual gifts to you. And the reason why they're called spiritual gifts is because of the term that's used here and other places where they're described. Uh, you'll see here that the word for grace, and we talked about this before, is the word charis in the Greek, which uh, charis, carpenter, means grace. And the word for it here um, in gifts, where it talks about um, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, the word is charisma. And you can see here the word grace in that word. Uh, you could translate that as that which is given freely and generously. Generous gifts, graceful gifts. So, uh, we also get the word charisma, obviously from the Greek word charisma, and we talk about a person being gifted with people. In dealing with people, they have charisma. The term charismatic is developed out of this term. The idea is that we have been graced as followers of Christ with abilities which we have due to the Spirit's indwelling and filling us. So if a person has not received Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit is not indwelling them, therefore they don't have spiritual gifts to use because it's as a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And, and there's probably no better way for me to kind of explain this than to geek out here with um, a little graphics. If you thought about, if you think about the believer as being a container, okay, and with like little ports coming out of them, okay, I bet you never thought of yourself that way. But, um, so when a person receives Christ as their Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells them, they have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. And that being filled with the Spirit, not to go too far into it here, but it has to do with their daily being able to walk with the Lord in an open and healthy relationship. It has to deal with uh, resisting sin and also confessing and, and being forgiven and, and walking in forgiveness of sin on a daily basis. So, so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives the opportunity for filling of the Spirit, which is what this container represents here. Okay, and if you think about different spiritual gifts as being kind of like different ports, okay, there's a reason for that. And so through use of our gifts in, in the body and outside of the body, we might find, man, when I offer my help to someone, it doesn't really minister to them all that much. But when I, I don't know, teach, man, it seems like the Holy Spirit just flows out of me and makes an impact. And that's why I use these kind of spouts model, is that our spiritual gift is not a giftedness that I have, but it's the area of ministry that the Holy Spirit that I'm filled with flows and ministers to someone through me. Okay, so that's kind of the best explanation that I can give you. Some, some points to think about here. Our spiritual gift is where the Holy Spirit best flows out of us and does ministry through us. We do n if we do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, 
we have no spiritual gift. If we are not daily filled with the Spirit, walking in a healthy relationship with the Lord, our spiritual gifts do not function as they should. So let me give you three ways to best learn about our spiritual gifts. One, be filled with the Spirit. Walk in a healthy relationship with the Lord. Keeping short accounts of Him. Learning from Him on a daily basis. Two, get involved in ministry. Learn what energizes you when you do it. Learn what makes an impact on other people with just a little bit of effort. Just a little bit of leadership and people follow. Well, maybe you have the spiritual gift of leadership. Three, be mentored in ministry. And this comes again down to our need for discipleship as a church. Okay, I'm going to, a little side note on prophecy here. Because uh, the first statement that's made here is, if prophecy, speaking of spiritual gifts, in proportion to our faith, in service, in our service. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry if you're hoping from me some sort of definitive answer on whether prophecy is valid for today, whether uh, sign gifts have ceased or something like that. You're not going to get it this morning. But again, this issue of sign gifts and thing is something that we should pick up as a con congregation at a future time. You're not necessarily going to get something completely definitive then either, but um, I'm not going to go into it, the gift of prophecy in detail today, partly because I would be speaking out of ignorance in complete detail, just seeming like I know what I'm talking about and know for sure. Uh, but I do believe, I don't believe we have living prophets today as we had in biblical times. Part of that reason being we have the God's completed word. Um, and, and so the definition of prophecy is not as much foretelling as it is foretelling God's word. In many ways, I'm proclaiming God's truth to you this morning, and so speaking prophetically. Um, I do believe that God is capable and has the right to use whatever he wants out of his toolbox. I do believe that people can unknowingly, being filled with the Spirit, walking with the Lord, can unknowingly speak prophetically into your life. And it can be as if the words of the Lord to you. But I say that hesitantly because it does not carry the authority that God's Word carries. Okay, so on that side note, I don't want to miss the point of what the passage is teaching us here this morning, though. Notice we begin with prophecy and service. This term service represents a generic sense of any ministry that is behind the scenes in support of others. Uh, you can see that the contrast here being between the upfront verbal ministry of prophecy and the silent ministry of service. So here the point is being made. If, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and I'll, and I'll argue here that the in proportion to our faith actually applies to all of the following gifts that are described here grammatically. So if prophecy, it needs to be done in proportion to our faith. If service, it, our service, our serving needs to be done in proportion to our faith. But this contrast here that he throws out here right at the beginning between upfront verbal ministry and behind the scenes quiet ministry is important. Um, I heard a study recently, and I don't know if you've noticed this with television shows over the last 20, 30 years. You guys that haven't been alive for the last 20, 30 years, you wouldn't have noticed that. But 
There was a study done recently that the most popular television shows from 20 or 30 years ago are vastly different in a certain area than the most popular television shows of today. Um, it used to be that TV, the most popular shows, were about belonging to something. Uh, the Brady Bunch, The Cosby Show, Growing Pain, Family Ties. These shows were about being a part of a family. Hill Street Blues, Barney Miller, Saved by the Bell, Star Trek, The Facts of Life. These shows were about belonging to a group of people and working together. But this study actually brought out that now so many top shows are about one person rising to the top. And I know these are a little bit dated as far as teenagers go, but, you know, Hannah Montana, iCarly, um, the adults would recognize The Voice, American Idol, The Apprentice. The Apprentice. We're obsessed with individual success in our world. And that has changed and snowballed in the recent future. You know, uh, think about how family slideshows will have changed in the future. You know, it used to be uh, the idea was showing pictures of the family here and the family there. I, I really think that, you know, five, ten years from now, the family slideshow is going to be 75% selfies. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that's like someone taking their picture, you know, with their phone or their camera like this. You know, 75% of a family slideshow is going to be, ah, oh, here's me in the bathroom mirror. Here's me looking sad. Here's me looking confused. The world tells us that life is about promoting me. And, and it's only increasing that pressure to promote yourself. Being transformed in the way that we do ministry means it's not about me or you. It's about God being glorified and getting to, us getting to play a simple role, the simple role that he's designed for us. And that's why here, right from the start, it contrasts whether it be prophecy or service. And then it goes on. As for a person who speaks for God is concerned, one commentator writes, a prophet is not to be governed by emotions or by love of speaking, but by dependence on the Spirit of God. And that's, that's that idea of whether prophecy in proportion to your faith. And it's both in proportion to the faith of the Scriptures that we've been given, the faith that we've been given in Christ, and also in proportion to what you've been given by God. I mean, it's a sad thing when a preacher or anyone else claims to speak for the Lord, but is sharing something out of their own fleshly mind, or worse, with an axe to grind. As well, as I mentioned, the grammar of these verses allows us to attach in proportion to your faith to both service and teaching and exhorting and contributing, etc. Again, this requires walking by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. This goes right along with what we've been taught here about walking in humility. We're not to be ex exercising our gifts in the body by our own strength or by our own wisdom. We're each to be ministering in accordance with our faith that we've been given by God. The next section of gifts moves into the spirit or attitude that from which we should be doing ministry. As it says, the one who contributes with generosity, 
the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this doesn't mean you're not supposed to, um, say, serve with, with a, a good servant's heart. But see, uh, Paul and, and God here is using different gifts to just draw out different aspects. And these last three are, are meant to draw out the spirit in which all of our gifts should be being used. And, and that's the idea that from being from a changed heart, being from a heart that's set on the Lord. Let me connect this to the importance of being transformed in the way that we do ministry at Harvest. The world might say, I don't care how you do the job, just get it done. The world treats religious or church activity as something that you have to do in order to keep God happy. Right? Or maybe that's the way that they see your involvement here at Harvest. Oh, he's just trying to keep God off his bad, you know, off his back, keep off God's bad side. The world thinks that you gotta do what the pastor needs done or he'll make an example of you from the pulpit. But God's way is different than this. What matters to God is how we use our gifts. Not just getting the job done. God could do it all and would have this earth looking like heaven in the snap of a finger. He wants to work through his children as we grow in our love for him. He wants us to feel a conviction when we do something we're like, then we realize, what am I doing this for? When we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, we present all of ourselves. We present also our mind and our thoughts. We present our hearts and our desires. God wants to change and mold us into servants who don't just teach or serve or lead or give. He wants us to find joy in giving with generosity and leading with passion and being merciful with cheer. He also wants us to teach with the joy of having learned from him ourselves. He wants us to exhort or challenge one another in the thankfulness for his grace that we are able to help him. It's, it's God's way to work in those who do ministry. I'll close with this. It's his way to work in those who do ministry even more than he's working on those that are being ministered to by them. That makes sense? You have the person that's being ministered to and the person that's doing ministry. It's God's way to actually work more in that person that's doing ministry. And you guys that have been able to find ministry according to your gifts and I felt that conviction of the Lord of your heart and then he shapes you into doing it with cheer and with joy and you really realize man I think God's working on me and shaping me more than anybody I'm impacting with it that's God's way of doing things to experiment with ministry and learn how he has gifted you should deepen your relationship with him it will be opening you up to learning humility as you struggle against your pride and your desire for recognition, just as I do. But our God is so gracious to us. And he actually walks with us graciously through our fumbling around with his kingdom work. And that's, you know, that's part of the ama what's amazing about all of it. That he walks with us as we fumble around 
with his precious kingdom work. Well, I'm going to close this in prayer, and so I'll have the praise team come on up.